Humans in History, the bite-sized birthday biography podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive, lasting impact. Today, October 20th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Enolia McMillan. She was born on this day in 1904. Enolia's father wanted the best for his firstborn. John had been born into enslavement in Virginia, and the freedom that his daughter was born into, John knew, would allow her at least some of the options and opportunities that he never had as a child. What he couldn't possibly have predicted when she was born on this day over 115 years ago was that she would end her life after 102 years of fighting for the basic human rights that her father grew up without. Enolia's family was one of modest means, as her father had no formal education and her mother Elizabeth was a domestic servant. When Enolia was a child, some sources say she was three at the time and others say that she was eight. Her family moved to Maryland, where they bought a small farm. This was enough to keep the family afloat, but not much else. Education for Enolia was obviously at all black schools, but she applied herself diligently, uh, strongly supported by her parents who knew that school was a bridge from struggle to opportunity. Maryland didn't have any integrated colleges at that time, so Enolia enrolled at Howard University in Washington, D.C. after getting the first ever scholarship from Alpha Kappa Alpha, the first African-American Greek letter sorority. She was not able to afford room and board on campus, though, so she commuted for four years between Maryland and Washington, D.C. At first, she wanted to be a pediatrician because she loved kids, but times being what they were, getting accepted into a medical school for her would have been almost impossible. So she chose to go into education so she could at least still work with children. In 1926, she completed a bachelor's in education and then dove headfirst into a teaching career at Denton High School in Caroline County, Maryland. She was such an exemplary educator that she was made a principal in Charles County the following year. As a teacher, I can assure you that being made a principal two years out of grad school is pretty rare even today. So as the next few years passed, she began to long for more advanced educational credentialing, but all the good local colleges were not open to people of color. She was accepted into Columbia, though, and she commuted the 230 miles from Maryland to New York while teaching and completing a master's degree. No idea how she managed to do all of this. During her time at Columbia, she began to look very critically at the racial inequalities in the Maryland school system. Her thesis was called Some Factors Affecting Secondary Education for Negroes in Maryland Counties. And in it, she not only examined the inferior education that children of color got in segregated schools, but she also looked at how the teachers in these schools got paid way less and were given much less to work with, and as a result, often produced less than ideal curriculum. The population in Charles County, where she was teaching, was about half black and half white, yet there was only one black high school and five white high schools, and the only school for black kids was in a super remote location, making it really hard for kids, especially the little ones, to walk there. So Enolia had rallied the community to buy a used school bus. Her thesis was asking a lot of important questions, and not everyone was thrilled about it. On one hand, this paper brought her to a level of visibility in the equal rights movement that allowed her to become the president of the Maryland State Colored Teachers Association, as well as the vice president for the National Association of Colored Teachers. On the other hand, her thesis really pissed off the Baltimore City School System, and they shut down any raises or promotions that she would be entitled to in the coming years. Can you imagine, like, I don't like that you're telling the truth, so I'm not going to give you your money. Can we act any more childish, Baltimore? Jeez. 
So she finishes her master's in 1933, and she goes back to teaching at all-black schools in Maryland. In 1935, she marries Betha McMillan the day after Christmas, and a son, Betha Jr., came five years later. She loved her activism work as much as she loved being at home with her family. Her granddaughter, Tiffany Beth McMillan, would later say she was a very independent woman and a feminist and a forerunner in terms of civil rights but she was so old-fashioned when it came to homemaking and cooking and ironing and cleaning. One of her favorite activities was cooking for huge holiday dinners, including her famous turkey and sweet potatoes with marshmallows. So after Brown versus Board of Ed in 1954, Anolia would become one of the first black teachers to teach at an all-white school. Being a black student to first cross into an all-white school has absolutely got to be terrifying. Watching the footage of Ruby Bridges walking past crowds of adults screaming at her is such an unquestionably traumatic experience. Ruby said that at the time, she thought it was Mardi Gras, but days later, she realized that the people screaming and thronging around the school had not been celebrating her, they'd been terrorizing her. Same goes for the footage of the Little Rock Nine. These are children being terrorized. There's no other word for it. They're being terrorized by adults. I don't know what kind of stuff has to happen to you in your childhood to make you the kind of adult that needs to hurt children, but for being God-fearing Christians, y'all really need Jesus. When I think about Enolia and what it would be like as a black teacher to step in front of a classroom of all white students who up until that moment had only ever had white teachers and had been told that white people were fundamentally better and superior, that had to be such an extremely frightening experience for Enolia and every other black teacher that had to do that. When we think about segregated schools and the integration process, we tend to think only about the kids involved, and rightfully so, kids are obviously incredibly impacted by their educational experience and all of the social minutiae that goes on with that. But for teachers, they were also having to integrate. They were having to teach kids who may have been incredibly disrespectful to them, they may have had to work with white colleagues that were less than civil, and they may have had to answer to administrators that were racist. And Enolia was brave enough to do all that. And I'm just in awe. So she keeps on teaching up until 1968 when she retires. The following year, she becomes the president of the Baltimore branch of the NAACP. The NAACP has actually been around since 1909. Uh, it was originally formed to protect people of color from systemic racism and Jim Crow laws. Enolia was kind of handed a hot mess when she took over, as two years before she started there, the NAACP had started a boycott against white merchants in Mississippi. And we need to look at what was going on with all that for just a second. So 1960s in the South, obviously a racist cesspool. And in 1966, a group of black people in Port Gibson, Mississippi, got together and presented their elected, and of course white, public officials with a list of demands for racial integration and civil rights. Port Gibson city officials rolled their eyes and the group reached out to the NAACP for assistance and they organized a boycott of the local merchants. So feeling the economic, but not the ethical, pressure, the town of Port Gibson hires its first ever black police officer in 1967, so the NAACP lifts their boycott. But in 1968, between the murder of MLK Jr. and the murder of a young black man named Roosevelt Jackson by two white Port Gibson police officers, the NAACP was justifiably outraged, and their Mississippi field secretary, Charles Evers, Medgar Evers' older brother, uh, leads a march to the county courthouse where he demands the firing of the entire Port Gibson police department. The authorities declined, and the boycott was reinstated. 
Evers was pissed, and during a speech, he told his listeners that if he saw any of them going into these racist stores, he would break their damn necks. Things got kind of out of control as the NAACP were posting people outside of all white stores to record the names of any black people going into them, and these names were published in black newspapers and read aloud at NAACP meetings. Ten black people who violated this boycott had their houses shot up, their windshields smashed, or their tires slashed. However, and this word gets a little bit weird, some of this happened before Evers' speech, and some were undated, so... These were more than likely terrorist attacks by the white people in town. But even so, the court tried to throw Evers in jail for inciting violence. But they ended up dropping the case when they couldn't pin any of the attacks on him. Halloween 1969, 17 white merchants sue the NAACP as well as 146 specifically named black people in town to recover their losses during the boycott. The trial didn't actually get underway until 1973, and the verdict didn't come down until three years later. Shockingly, they found all the black people guilty, and they were ordered to pay over $1.2 million in damages to the 17 white merchants. The NAACP took it to the Mississippi Supreme Court in 1980, which refused to overturn the judgment. However, on July 3rd of 1982, the U.S. Supreme Court reversed the decision as nonviolent activities done in protest are part of every American's First Amendment rights, so the protesters were not technically responsible for the damages caused by a nonviolent, legally protected activity. So this was just some of the really crazy stuff that Enolia had to deal with in her time helming the NAACP. In 1984, she was elected the first female president of the NAACP, overseeing 400,000 members, and she remained in this position until 1990. During this time, she was a very outspoken critic of the Reagan administration's interference in the NAACP's work in education, housing, and employment. She also led the 1985 anti-apartheid march in Washington. In 1990, she was inducted into the Maryland Women's Hall of Fame. Enolia passed away four days after her 102nd birthday on October 24, 2006, from heart failure. She was laid to rest at King Memorial Park in Baltimore. My sources today were Wikipedia, the AAREG, New York Times, SFGate, and the Maryland Women's Hall of Fame. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Enolia McMillan. Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of legendary Disney animator Mary Blair. See you then.